So I, I knew like, okay, can I run the wholesaling model? Like we talked about with the marketing, can I do that and help people? Probably, but it's going to be kind of difficult. I'd rather do a couple deals a month, not flex and be like, Hey, I'm doing a hundred, hundred deals a month or 20. Like I don't need to do that. I need to do two to three and have a low overhead and I'm living a great life. I feel fine. So my thought process was like, okay, what can I do to be relevant and still talk and tell people I'm doing deals and not be a phony? Well, I can do deals this way. It requires less of my time. I don't really have any, like zero, little to no market. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today we have on Nathan Payne, who is a wholesaler flipper. He comes at it from the reverse angle. A lot of people are going at it, finding the deal, then have to find the buyer, freaking out over timelines. Nathan likes a little bit more of a calm lifestyle where he chills out, finds a buyer first, and then he's able to go ahead, find the deal, put it together, make the money. This allows him to do it basically just by himself. He might have a little bit of a team, but it's not as much of a focus because he's focused more on the things that he loves about his life. So Nathan, take us in today. What is the craziest real estate experience you've had so far in your career? Whew. You know, I wasn't always doing the reverse model, uh, doing it the painless way. That's what I call painless nice. wholesaling. But, I like um, to play on words there. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't always doing that. So one of my craziest experiences when I went, uh, I was doing just deals in my home market of Utah, but um, we heard about wholesaling nationwide. So we we're like, let's try it. So we turned on some pay-per-click advertisements. If people don't know what pay-per-click is, it's Google ads. And we got, uh, we started getting leads and we started trying to close people over the phone. So we got this lead in Rialto, California. And we were like, okay, Rialto, let's, let's give it a shot. So we got it under contract for like 80,000. We found a buyer for like 120. So we're like, this is a great deal. Like 40 K, you know, and, uh, Right before the close, we were newer. We were, we were like a year in, so we didn't really understand like how to handle this. But uh, the uh, the seller the day before close is like, "Hey, um, I know I agreed to have eighty, but I'm not going to go through with it. I I didn't. I can get way more. I I I need you to pay more." So we were like, "Okay, well, what do you want?" And then she's like, "Do give me 90. So we're like, "Okay, cool." Uh, knowing now what I know now, I would probably just been like, "Hey, you can't the, the day before close change your mind." Um, but anyway, I, we just gave it to her. So, uh, we got, we closed and I actually bought it cause we were going to, we were going to double close. Right. Um, and, uh, then the buyer backed out at 120. So now I'm stuck with a property in Rialto, California for 90 K it's, it's a dump, complete dump. Like it's, uh, tear, like tr trashed out. So I'm like, whatever, we can find a new buyer. So we start looking for a new buyer. We find somebody. And that's willing to pay 130. So we're like, great. And the guy calls me and he's like, hey, I'm I'm not buying that house unless you get the squatter out. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, there's a squatter in there and uh there's problems with squatters here in Atlanta, uh sorry, uh California. So we're not we're not I'm not messing with it. Get him out, or I'm not buying it. So I was like, Well, just get tell the guy to leave. So the the buyer went there and he's like, Hey, can you leave? And the squatter's like, now I've been here forever, like seven months or whatever. I'm not leaving. G give me money, right? So we're like, well, okay, well, what do you want? Like 500 bucks? And the guy's like, no, nah, give me $2,000 and 30 days to vacate and I'll think about it. He wasn't even like going to do it, right? He was just like, you know, making those demands. So I had $90,000 and that was a lot of money. And that is a lot of money. So I was like just tied up being held up by a, squ a guy that's just 
in a property that I own. So I was like, I'm not going to just sit here until this dude decides he wants to move out. I need to sell this house. So me and my buddy got in a plane the next day after the guy said no, uh, the squatter. And we got there. We uh, we rented like a, a little van. <laughs> this is kind of it's kind of crazy, but re- rented like a 12 passenger like van, got full insurance on it. And we were uh, I didn't tell you this, but there's a, a big gate like a 12 foot gate surrounding the property. So we were like, and the guy had locked the gate shut so no one could open it. And that's why the cops weren't able to get him out. So we were ready to blast that. Uh, um, we were ready to blast that gate down in that van, uh, especially we got the full insurance. Cause I was like, Hey, th- we got to get this guy out of here. Um, but luckily we didn't have to blast the gate down. Uh, we just got a locksmith guy that cut the lock off, went in there. We told him to get out and the guy, uh, his girlfriend was there and she, She's like, oh, you got to give us some couple days. And we're like, no, you, we told you you need to leave. And she's like, well, he's at work. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You, can you leave? And she, so she left. And while we're boarding up the property, um, the squatter and his boss come, like they come show up and they're like, what are you doing? This is where he lives. And the boss was getting all up in my face. And I'm like, bro, why don't you pay your employee enough to afford like a, a, a not a condemned home? And the whole time the boss is trying to like, his boss is trying to get him to, uh, you know, like stay in there. So he, the boss calls the cops on me and he's like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get you guys out of here. The cops come, uh, the cops are like, Hey, they had our back and they're like, Hey, don't worry, we'll get him out. So they called code enforcement and code enforcement, um, was like, Hey, you can't live here to the, the squatter. This house has no running water, no electricity, no plumbing, whatever. Uh, so they condemned the house and the guy had to leave. But it was a it was a crazy experience because, you know, I didn't know that much about California law and that they're like really heavy on, you know, squatters rights. But luckily it worked out for us. We sold the next day. Yeah, it is fortunate that it looked because I live in California. So I've done a number of these types of deals and you can get hurt pretty bad in California if you're not careful. So, you know, glad you guys made it out. okay. so let's (laughs) talk about let's get into this because I think this could be a good learning lesson for investors. So you were planning on doing a double close. Um, and there's a process in that. That's like the, what they call the A to B, B to C. So if we define that out, it's like the A person, right? Is the the original seller that's selling it to you. You guys are the B person in this case, and then you're selling it to an end buyer. Right. And so the C buyer was not funding the A to B transaction, which is something that, go ahead. I actually misspoke on this, uh, this, I do, we do a lot of double close, but this is actually what happened. So we were going to wholesale it and the buyer backed out. So I not, I knew it was a good deal. So I just bought it. That's what happened. I just bought it with my own money, but yes, in, in the sense that that's probably what would have happened if a double close, if the, the buyer wasn't ready. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. So for those of you guys that are doing double close, if you're in a state that allows it, allow allow the end buyer to fund the original transaction. So that way you're not in a position where you're stuck. And in this case, obviously you made it good. So let's talk about reverse wholesaling. How does reverse wholesaling, like what problems does it solve? What problems, if we're being transparent, does it create uh, in the process? So what problems does it solve? Is that the first question? Yeah, definitely. So the problems that it solves is if you do it the traditional route, the way I was taught, and I think most people are taught like you, you don't really know uh, what, like if you, like, especially as a new investor, you don't really know if you have a, a good deal, right? Like you can run comps and you might like know a little bit about the market, but if you're newer and you're marketing and for example, in Salt Lake, 
and you're new and you're running comps with other things, other properties in the area, you could lock up a property and that street without you knowing could be the worst part of town or that could be the a bad area, right? But you just don't know that. And that happens a lot is a lot, a lot of investors, they just lock up bad deals, right? And they think it looks good because they compared it to something when they really, it wasn't really comparable. So as a as you do it the reverse way, the painless way, you can call your buyer before you even lock it up and you can say, hey, um, I have this seller, pretty, pretty motivated. What would you pay for this before I lock it up? And you're tight with them. So it's not like you, you're afraid that they're going to go talk to the seller. And they say, hey, you know what? I like this area or, hey, this area stinks. I need to be at 180. So when you talk to the seller again, you're fully confident that you have someone in place and you can say 170 and make 10, right? And it's already done. So that's the problem it solves is it, uh, if you're not confident in your comping ability, if you're not confident in the area, then it's, it's very diff It eliminates that difficulty of like knowing what to offer. Yeah. So let's say you take brand new investor, brand, brand new. How do they mm -hmm. know if the buyer that they have is actually a good buyer? Cause like you'll talk to some buyers and they're like, I want to buy at 20 cents on the dollar. Right. And then other buyers will buy at 80. Yeah. So how, yeah. In the reverse prospecting, you essentially, if you're newer, could easily find yourself in a situation where you're kind of run by the rules of your buyer. How do you know when it's time to get new buyers and, and it's time when you've got good buyers, you just need to work harder to find deals? That's a great question. So I actually did a 30-day challenge in the month of February. So I, I actually ended it early because my goal was to get a deal within 30 days in a new market without um, money. And I was already able to do it. Um, but, uh, so what I did, the first thing I did is I went to Atlanta and I was like, okay, how do I find the real buyers? Well, the real buyers are either ha have done a flip and are being their flips are on the market. So what I did is using batch leads, I just looked for buyers that had currently had flips on the market that were listed. And I reached out to the real estate agents and the buyers and said, Hey, I saw your property. Are you looking for more properties in this area? So that that's a good way to find a real buyer is do they actually have a property that they flipped, right? Not like hypothetically that you found them on Facebook groups, you know, and they're, they're, they're probably wholesalers. And you can also um, do, you can also do some reverse engineering in the sense that like with batch leads or with these softwares, maybe like a privy or, or any, you know, uh, other softwares that analyze what people have done. You could take market value, look at what they paid for it. Look at, you might be able to look at condition when they bought it, maybe not, but basically mm -hmm. you could reverse engineer, right? Just kind of like your reverse method reverse engineer, what sort of margins are those investors working off of? Understand if they're the type of investor that's going to leave enough room in the deal for you. 100%. Yeah. So another way that when I did this uh, challenge, I went, I started calling title companies that were investor friendly. I just site searched uh, investor friendly title companies or attorneys in the United States. I found uh, like three or four that were in Atlanta. I called them all. And uh, one of the ladies was like, hey, most of the most of the deals that are getting closed with us right now is from this hedge fund. Um, I said, well, can I have the hedge funds info? She's like, yeah, they're doing about like 10, 15 deals, uh, through 10 a month through us. So I, I reached out to them and this hedge fund is actively buying. They gave me their buy box criteria. They're awesome. I don't even have to have a house under contract. I can just send them a potential deal that I'm working and they'll tell me what they'll pay. So I, I've been working with an agent. Um, and I, I sent them the deal without even having it under contract. I said, hey, hedge fund, what would you pay? And they told me, and I'm, I, I make the offers where I need to be, so I'm already kind of in a good spot. So I think that's the fastest. The reason why I did this is because I don't – if you have a team and you have marketing budget, you don't, you don't really need to do this. You can just 
go market and you you know have skill as negotiating seller leads deals. coming in and so on and so forth yeah yeah but if if you're strapped on cash or you're brand new i do not recommend someone to go out and spend a ton of money on marketing when they don't know what they're doing yeah so you're positioning this training and this is for somebody that wants to operate on no money it wants to operate on a level of security first like it creates a different style of work so it's not a no work situation it's not a get rich quick scheme in that sort of way but no. it's more just like hey we're going to shift the work over here so we take the emphasis off of you have to understand comps you have to understand these things so what exactly. led you down this road like was it just kind of finding that hey i've got deals under contract that are hard to dispo or well, a lot of this kind of led me to this because I did the nationwide wholesaling model for like two years. And the biggest, the Achilles heel of that model is Dispo, right? It's so it's difficult to, to find buyers, especially if you're getting deals and you have n you've never done a deal in that area. Like we had a pay-per-click campaign that was nationwide. So we we're getting leads from everywhere. And we were like, hey, this makes sense. It's 50% of ARV. We got a great deal. Well, not, not in that area, not in Peoria, Illinois, where people don't buy in that neighborhood. Right. Like, but you would never know that. So, um, that's kind of, uh, I can't remember the question, but yeah, that's kind of the problem with, uh, doing it like traditionally without, um, you know, knowing your buyers. And so let's evaluate this here for a second. So obviously most business owners are trying to make the most amount of money with the least amount of headaches, right? The least amount of work in an ideal situation, right. or at least minimize your work so you can make more money if you want to keep working that much. So, you have found that with a reverse method, you do less work to put a deal together because the, the two sides of the scenario, scenario one is you reverse and then the buyers tell you what they want, but you still have to go find it for them and they have to actually buy the things that they say they're going to buy. In the other case, mm -hmm. you find the deal and then go find a buyer. You find you spend less hours and have more success doing it in reverse. 100%. Yeah, because right now my focus is on building Investor Thrive and uh, the coaching business and helping people uh, get started. So I, I knew like, okay, I, do, can I run uh, the wholesaling model like, a, like, like we talked about with the marketing? Can I do that and help people? Probably, but it's going to be kind of difficult. I'd rather do a couple deals a month, not flex and be like, hey, I'm doing 100, 100 deals a month or 20. Like, I don't need to do that. I need to do two to three and have a low overhead and I'm living a great life. I feel fine. I'm, I'm making money. I'm helping others. So I think my thought process was this is this is what happened. So at the beginning at, at the beginning of last year, we our my wholesaling company was big and it, I had multiple acquisition agents. Um, I had a business partner and we were doing good, right? And uh, the market shift happened and we weren't getting deals as easily and we had to cut back on marketing. We had to cut back on our employees. And my business partner uh, was 50-50 with me and Investor Thrive and 50-50 with the wholesaling business. He was running that and I was running this. And when he scaled that back, I was like, look, bro, it doesn't really make sense to stay together, splitting everything 50, 50 when there's really the, we were kind of scaled back on our wholesaling business. So we just split and I'm like, okay, what can I do to be relevant and still talk and tell people I'm doing deals and not be a phony? Well, I can do deals this way. It requires less of my time. I don't really have any like zero little to no marketing spend. I think I spend money on privy and uh, batch and that's it. Yeah, I use privy and, too. Cool. Yeah. Shout out to Benson Morris. Yeah, I like both, you know, and they're both great. So yeah, do that. And if I do, let's just say I do a $15,000 deal, um, like once a month, that's cool. My overhead's super low. You know, I, I'm not trying, I'm, I know there's people who are trying to make millions and millions. I'm, I'm a pretty low key dude. I don't really need, um, you know, that much.
let's dive into this because there's there's some similarities there between you and I, and I think there, there's a mentality that generally people come into, and it sounds like you carried that mentality in with at the beginning, right? Like the, this world of real estate kind of sucks us into that we should be doing a million deals and making a bazillion dollars and so on and so forth. And then you start to realize, is that really the life that you want? So what sort, like, well, let, actually let's go into a different question first and then we'll come back to it. So let's go into mm -hmm. hedge funds. How they tell you, I'm going to buy a property for hundred grand. How much spread do you like to build into your deals? So with the, with the hedge funds, uh, it's been a while since I've done a deal with the hedge fund because they kind of died off and then I found yeah. this new one. So I have not done a deal with this new one. I just found on my challenge yet. But uh, we usually, when we did deals with them before, we would uh, ask them what they out, what they were willing to offer before, without giving them like an asking price. We would just be like, what would you offer? And we usually, they were over what we had it for. So we didn't really have um, like a spread that we were trying to get. At, at the beginning, it was just like, Hey, what, what would you make? What would you offer? And if it wasn't big enough, we would tell them, Hey, we need you to do more. Right. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how we worked with the hedge funds. Okay. So in those cases, you already had the deals locked up. You were just hoping that there was enough spread in the past, right? Yes. Yeah. Like we, we already had those, but I'm telling now I'm finding out like, Hey dude, the, the way that this hedge fund I'm talking to works, they, you just send them an address and they give you an offer. Yeah. I don't even care totally. if you have it locked up. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. They're just like, Hey, yep. Yeah. So basically you're thinking, so by going to two or three deals a month, you're obviously saving a lot of money because you don't pay a team. You don't pay acquisition managers. You don't pay any of this stuff. So are you also building in bigger spreads this way? Or is it just like, Hey, I'm going to make 10 K a deal. I'm going to do two or three a month. I'm going to make 20, I'm going to make 240 to $360,000 a year. Almost all of that's pure profit. And Hey, $250,000 a year is a great living. That, that's exactly right. To, to be real. I, if I make five, 10, 15, 20, like in that range, like whether it's five or 15, I'm cool with that. Right. Cause I, I make money off of the coaching too. And that's not why I got into coaching was to get super rich. I, I don't have like thousands and thousands of students like these people. I, I just, I knew that as, as I got into coaching deals would come from it and it has, and I JV with a lot of my students and, uh, you know, I do deals through uh JVing and, um, I don't need to make a fit like 50 or a hundred K a deal. If I did great. Right. I just did a, I just did a, a, a multi-unit. Um, I was going to buy it with a partner, but mm -hmm. the interest rates went up. So it didn't make sense. So I wholesaled it to someone. Um, I JV'd with someone that was in my network. We made 30,000, right. And we split it 60, 40. So that's 18 K to me and no overhead. Right. Like yeah. it didn't, it didn't, it was me. So that's cool. And, and, and the reason, another reason I did this is I was making, when I had a wholesaling company, I had a business partner. So all profit was split 50, 50, right? So that, that, that kills you just right there, right? You got to split everything. And then on top of that, you got to pay, is your wholesaling business 30% profitable? Is it 20%? Like, is, is it, or is it like, is the marketing crushing you? So yeah. it wasn't after all that hard work and with the wholesaling business only, I wasn't really as profitable as I'd like. So this is, I like this model. It's a lot more relaxed. <laughs> lot well, this kind of, this kind of goes into like, so I was having a conversation earlier in today on a different podcast about team building, not in the investing space, but on the agent side. Mm -hmm. And it's so often the case that, that building of teams actually makes the team leader less profitable for years and for certain stages of the development until a certain critical mass is reached. And then obviously the tables slip over. So, but let's talk about, you're teaching your students the reverse prospecting method. So in most courses, it's the complete opposite, right? They're teaching you how to find the deal first. 
So a mm -hmm. lot of times these course creators like that because th then all these people have deals and they don't know how to fund them. And even though they teach them, the, the students still present the deals to the teacher in order to buy them. In your case, you're teaching people how to reverse prospect. So right. is it that they're bringing you a lot of buyers and then you go find the deals for these buyers? So when I, in my course, I teach them how to find their own buyers, but I also give them my, my buyers. And I say, hey, go find these opportunities and we'll JV together. Got it. Right? Got it. I see That's what you're saying. So this is actually really interesting because essentially you're like, you're creating buyers agents out of your investor clients. You're, you're just reversing the problem. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. So, so essentially, and your students are still doing a lot of the same work they would do in other courses, but by being in your course, they're getting handed cash investor buyers essentially for some split of the profit. Yeah, exactly. And I've even come to the point where I'm like, as I've done this 90 day, 30 day challenge, I'm like, dang, like I'm good at negotiating, but I can tell that someone that's new we're probably they're going to lose out on a lot of opportunities that I could close. Right. So yeah. I even say, Hey, set me up an appointment with someone that meets the criteria of my buyer, even in, in uh, set me up an appointment. I'll talk to them. I'll close and I'll pay you commission. So like I'm even working with the students to help them out because I want them to make money too. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So tell me like you obviously got lifestyles, a big priority, making a lot of money is not the main goal. So, but let's just say we happen to drop a billion dollars into your bank account and you had a hundred lifetimes of cash flow. Like how would your life change? That's a great question. Um, if I had $2 billion, I wouldn't get a new, I mean, I, I'm saying I wouldn't get a new house. I wouldn't get a new car. Cause I don't care about that stuff, but maybe that's a lie. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I like what I do. I like helping others. I like working with people. I like this real estate. So I'd probably just hire more people to help me expand the business, right? Because there's the way that wholesaling is, like it's not going to go away. Like there's there people will continue to learn about it. They're going to continue to pay people. So my goal is to kind of kind of I'm on like a mission to stop people from just blowing their money. Cause when I first, when I first started, I learned from someone to just go do mailers. Right. So I spent $10,000 on mailers and didn't get a single deal. And that can really financially destroy somebody, right? Like 10 K and they don't know what they're doing. So my mission is like, Hey, let me teach you how to do this the right way. So if I had $2 billion, would I still do this? Probably. I mean, I like it. Yeah. Sweet. What do you see as your goal and vision to accomplish in the next 12 to 18 months? to grow, to grow investor thrive and to continue to do deals and show people how to do deals. That's, that's the goal. And, and as I grow the community, it would probably be put more acquisitions managers kind of, I'm kind of like an acquisitions manager. I'm a closer, right? It'd be to put more people in there. So if people need help closing deals, they can set appointments for the closers and they can all work together and shadow. Uh, that's kind of what I do for if people set me an appointment, like I'll let them shadow me, call their seller and, and try to lock them up. So it'd probably be some, a, a model like that. Yeah. What words of advice or wisdom would you have besides obviously do things in reverse? What words of wisdom do you have for a new investor? Um, I talked to a lot of newer investors and they're scared. They're scared. They just, just point blank. Let's just say how it is. They just don't want to do the calls. They're nervous. They don't want to make mistakes. And I would just say, Hey, you can't avoid you. You're not going to be able to not make a mistake. I, I, I just got off a call with someone uh, recently who's um, 
you know, wanted to get started. And he was like, look, I want to join your mentorship because I, I don't want to mess up. Right. That's what he said. And I was like, dude, there's no mentorship in the world that you can join that you're not going to mess up. You're going to mess up. I mess up. I just, I just lost $26,000 on a deal because the market shift happened and I did a seller finance deal and it went sideways. I, that's another story for another time, but it, it, it happens. Unfortunately, um, you can't avoid it. So I think that's what everyone needs to know. It's like, look, even me, I've been doing this for a while. I'm not the expert. Uh, I'd like to believe I am, but uh, you know, we all fail, right? We're all, you can't avoid it. Yeah. It's so true. Guys, if you're out there listening, like take note of this. I mean, there's some really interesting advice in here from obviously going at it from another angle to avoid costs. So many real estate investors fail or stop because they're planning on, on moving forward, but they don't have the money. So there's a lot of things you can take away from this episode. Write one of them down, share it with somebody you know so that it can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps daily towards freedom, before you know it, you'll be living a life of freedom and purpose. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.